great for my half of the population if you think that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. There's no difference in our brain. We don't have better executive function than men as women. We don't, we're not wired differently to multitask. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Welcome back to the Subtle Smarter Podcast. Today's guest is someone very special. Her name is Eve Rodsky. She is the inventor of and author of Fair Play and the Fair Play System. She is literally in the sweet spot of the intersections of life across all the facets we talk about with our smart settling crew. We can all be smart. We've got to keep getting smarter, however. So shout out to my listeners. There's your career, whether you work from home, in your home, stuck in your home now, or outside of the home, depending on COVID, whether you're dealing with your family, your friends or community, or your own well-being and yourself, Eve has answers for us on how to actually make prioritization and trade-off happen in the real world. So Eve, welcome. Oh, Dana, I'm so happy to be here. Um, you're, you're already making me laugh off, off screen, so I'm excited to, to delve in. I wish they could see us. We do this on video for our listeners so that we can actually talk to each other like people, you know, although those of us in business that are sick of Zoom, no offense to Zoom because you're hosting this as well. We're kind of tired of seeing each other, but today is a good day because I get to see Eve's beautiful face and we're going to get into how to help you listeners with these prioritizations or reprioritizations. So I think that's probably a good place to start. Why don't you tell us, you had a moment when sort of the fair play system became relevant for you in your own life. You do talk about it in your book and I want our listeners to read it and we'll put in the show notes where they can find you and all of your good work. Tell us about the moment where you were like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the the irony is it actually happens in, in science uh, a lot of times after our second children are born um, because I think our first child, you do have this, I um, to have it all, I have to do it all mentality. You barely can probably do that. But, um, this was right after my second son was born, Dana. And, um, it was a time that reminds me of actually right now where it felt like the space time continuum was sort of collapsing on me. Um, it just, it all, um, I write about this in fair play. You can't make this shit up, but, um, it really fair play really did start with a text. My husband sent me that just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Um, so let's just talk about what happened when the day I received that text and maybe you can picture the scene with me. So I had a breast pump and a diaper bag on the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car because, you know, those return policies are like four days. Um, I, <laughs> I was racing to get my older son, Zach, who was three at the time from his toddler transition program. And in America, because we value working families, right? Those programs last like seven minutes. So I was racing to pick him up. Um, I had a client contract on my lap. So it was actually sitting on my lap as I was driving. And there was a pen. I do everything analog. So there was a pen that was stabbing me in the vagina every time I hit, hit the brakes. So I was being stabbed in the vagina by my pen. I was trying to mark up this contract, racing to get Zach. And then on top of this crazy freaking day where I'm 
so overwhelmed. Um, uh, I apparently can't even manage a grocery list, according to my husband, right? I get this. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries text. And so I think the thing that really got me that day was this idea that, well, I guess what really got me was, first of all, the cliche that like if my marriage was going to end, you know, it really was going to be over like my affair with an NFL player. Cause like, that's who I, and that's who I dated in college. Right. Not like off season blueberries. Right. I mean, that's just so insanely cliche and sad, but I think more importantly, it was this idea that um, I used to be able to manage employee teams and this sort of gets to your listeners. Right. Um, and your audience, I used to be able to manage employee teams. And now I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even manage a grocery list. Like, and how did this happen to me where I had opted out of the traditional workforce because somehow I thought that was my job because I made less money because I chose philanthropy and my husband chose private equity. I somehow thought it was going to be easier to have my own business. All these cultural fallacies that were, I think, on me that day that I've subsequently broke through, but I just want to get back to that day because I think a lot of people may still be in those days and thinking about what does it mean to um, not have the career marriage combo you thought you were going to have. And so the last thing I want to say, Dana, is that um, this shouldn't have happened to me because um, I grew up on Avenue C and 14th Street. Um, we had this chemical bank checkbook that I would, I would literally write out my, my mother's bills for her at seven. I was a, called a parental child. I guess that's what psychologists call it. Um, so I had vowed that I would have an equal partner in life, that my partner would be my daughter, my child. I was in charge of caring for my disabled brother. So I had just said this was not my life. I wasn't going to do that again, repeat those patterns. And then on top of that, um, I'm a Harvard-trained lawyer and mediator. I'm actually trained to communicate. So I think that was my realization that if this was happening to me when I had so much intention that I would not become the default or as I call fair play, the she fault for literally every single household and domestic task, it was probably happening to other women. I have to mute myself during this podcast guests because I can't stop like smiling, laughing, probably snorting. I don't know what's going on here, but I feel like Eva's just speaking to me and you're speaking to me as if it were about 20 years ago when this all started to go down for me in almost exactly the same way. I lost my shit after my first kid. And now I have two daughters, 16 and 20. And to your point, it's a little like life in thesis. Huh, I'm ending where I began. Cause right now I'm wondering where's the sanity. And if someone asked me for G damn blueberries, it, it's on. So listeners and my husband and kids, if you're listening, do not ask me for any blueberries. I don't want to hear it. Cause then I have to wash them with vinegar and stuff right now. And don't bring me anything to wash. Don't bring me any, I don't want produce anyway. That's another podcast. And I did not. And especially at the time, I think that idea, right, that I used to be Eve, like a human um, with an identity. And now all of a sudden I feel like I'm fulfiller of your smoothie needs. Right. Like that's that that felt like where I was at that time. Like that's who I am now. I'm fulfiller of your smoothie needs. So that's that's definitely not a place I thought I would end up. And I think the sad part, Dana, is a lot of the science shows. A lot of the studies show that, um, especially professional women, a lot of people that probably look like your look and listen like your listeners are um, surprised. We're all freaking surprised 
And why? And I think that's why I really wanted to write Fair Play and really go down the process of curiosity about what is the she fault? Because what I said, my thesis was, I never want another woman to be surprised again. And then the other thesis I had was, and this is when I started Googling organizational management for the home, because that's my discipline. I'm a lawyer and a mediator. We could talk about how that informs fair play. But um, I was like, someone else in my discipline had to treat the home as an organization. So as I started going down my curiosity journey to understand the she fault, um, I was looking for how to organize your home. And then I realized that we had somehow as women gone down this path of just understanding and talking about the life-changing magic of organizing our junk drawer. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to talk about, but no, the life-changing magic is in long-term thinking. It is in Dana, you say, you lost your shit 20 years ago. Where do I want to be 20 years later? What do I want my life to look like when I'm an empty nester, when my kids are in college? What do I want my life to look like when I'm 60, when I'm 70? Um, and too many of us are so surprised with all this invisible labor and the overwhelm and having to do it, quote unquote, do it all, that I just said, I will never, I never want another woman to do what I did and have to opt out of the workforce because I didn't have, quote unquote, choice um, over how I use my time. You also have a very clear message on multitasking. Would you talk to us about that? Because it seems like we can find 1800 opinions on multitasking. You've got a pretty clear direction on that one. Um, I love that you're willing to let me go there. Um, so I'm going to go even a little deeper, which is, um, the core finding a fair play. Sometimes I get to just go straight to the solutions, but I'm going to go deeper with you, Dana, because I can tell you're already receptive of it. And this is why fair play had to be a book and not just a card game, um, or tools, which is what I'm good at doing and using with my clients for 10 years as a mediator. Fair Play had to become a book because when I decided to find out what the she fault was or the second shift or now the second second shift as Sheryl Sandberg calls it, or we can call it the mental load or emotional labor or invisible work. That's my favorite term. That's the one I use because this is actual work. Um, I was looking at how other women and men were doing it. I ended up with 500 interviews that mirrored the US Census from self-reporting. Um, and ironically, everything was presenting as small details. So women, when I asked the COO of a very important company, what's her greatest problem? Dana, I, I like asking vague questions. And she said to me, it's getting her husband to take out the kitty litter, to remind him to take out the kitty litter, not you know running her publicly traded company. Um, I have a man in White Plains, New York, tell me he's locked out of his house over a glue stick, that he was going to rent a hotel in New York City because he forgot to bring home a glue stick. I'm sobbing over freaking blueberries. So it's presenting very small. But I think it's really important to tell your listeners that as a mediator, I'm trained not to accept that the presenting problem is the real problem. So when I went deeper, what I realized was that the core finding of Fair Play was this idea about how we value women in men's time that we value and treat men's time as finite, like diamonds. And society, we all value and treat women's time as infinite, like sand. So what I mean by that is that we know in the workplace that women's time is not valued um, the same as men's time because, uh, you know, we don't get paid the same. 
uh, for the same work. Uh, a lot of bias comes into that and we could unpack that later, but that's just the reality. But what I wasn't expecting, Dana, was how much, how strongly um, women were willing to guard men's time and treat their own time as infinite. So to go really deep, um, and this is, just, I, I, take, I take lots of crazy notes. I have hundreds of moleskins, right? Um, right, yeah, exactly. So that's, we're, we're very similar. We're, we're spiritual friends already. But one of my favorite notes was, not favorite, but most common notes ended up being um, this. So I coded everything for patterns and it became this code, which was C-I-Y-O-O, which is complicit in your own oppression. And so what do I mean by that? Well, women started saying things to me when I said, why do you hold all the unpaid labor for your household? Some women said to me, well, my husband makes more money than me. He has to go to work early. Um, you know, never really occurred to them that um, because if I chose philanthropy and my husband chose private equity, like that's a strange argument because that means I'd be holding unpaid labor for the rest of my life. Uh, other women said to me, exactly what you just said, Dana, um, I'm a better multitasker. Women are better multitaskers. We're wired differently. My husband is better at focusing on one task at a time. Typically, this was said by hetero cisgender couples, but often sometimes even women were saying it in same-sex marriages about other women, but that they themselves as a woman was better. So all these heteronormative things still were coming into same-sex relationships too. Um, so I will tell you about the day that I visited a neuroscientist. He's the number one neuroscientist, I think, in America. Um, you know, he's considered very, very, very uh, prestigious neuroscientist. Um, and I asked him, are women wired differently? Are we better multitaskers? Are some weird you know, executive coaches that have articles that we are? Uh, he said, there's no, no. Yeah, there's men no have that empty box and women don't and all that crap. All that crap, exactly. Um, that all that stuff you see in some organizational journals, you may have seen those articles. No, there is literally, and now this is not just one neuroscientist, this is talking to many neuroscientists. There's no difference in our brains. We are not, we don't have better executive function than men as women. We don't, we're not wired differently to multitask. Um, but what was so sad to me, Dana, or impact, impactful was what he said afterwards. After he said no, what he said to me was, and I don't put this in the book because no one sanctioned me saying it like this, but what he said to me off the record was, Imagine Eve that we, he's talking about men, could convince you, um, women, that you are better, that your half of the population is better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for my half of the population um, if you think that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. So that was actually a day that, Dana, that was probably the only other day besides the blueberries day where I actually sobbed in this man's office and it was embarrassing. Uh, I'm going to need to nap after this. I don't care what I've got the rest of my day. I'm going to have to like clear the day and get in bed because this is so unbelievably honest and accurate. And the fact that we need the world's leading neuroscientists to tell us what we probably already know, ladies and a few gentlemen, 
please just listen to what Eve is saying. And if you're stuck in any of these traps that she's pointing out, it's time to get out of the trap. And if COVID doesn't help you out of the trap, it's probably going to push you deeper into the trap. Just a little theory I have. So let's help people get out of the trap. So what do they do? What is the first thing to be a more fair player that they can do? Let's talk to the women and let's talk to the men. Absolutely. Um, and thank you. I want to go practical. And that's why, you know, we can just go, we can like bust through the four rules of fair play because they're all practical. But before that, what Dana said is really important um, to take a nap after this. This is not to just say to your partner, I hate you. Um, you don't value my time. This is really to unpack um, a lifetime of what society has taught us. So that doesn't, consciousness raising doesn't always come easy. Like I said, I sobbed in a neuroscientist's office um, because of these toxic time messages. That's what I call them, toxic time messages we, we give ourselves. Let me just tell you one more that's very popular before we go into what you can do. So the last one I wanna reflect on is the other most popular one other than we're better multitaskers, which is a complete fallacy as you just heard. It was in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. That was another very popular toxic time message. So let's talk about who I went to for that one. So for that one, I went to my close friend, Dan Ariely. He's one of the top behavioral economists in this country. He's a professor at Duke. He has many best-selling books. Um, and I asked him, I said, tell me, you consult the biggest banks. You um, are a huge economist. Uh, tell me about how you feel about the argument when women say, in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. Well, he said to me that it's a horrible argument for women because it means you're wiping asses and doing dishes for the rest of your life. So what he said to me, of course, it's that's just short-term thinking. The long-term thinking is investing in talking with your partner, communicating with your partner. So when I went to my good friend, Dan Ariely, the top, one of the top behavioral economists in this country, best-selling author, um, and I asked him, what do you think of that argument? He said to me, it's the worst argument he's ever heard for women. Because of course it makes sense to, to teach the other person how to wipe asses and do dishes. Otherwise you're stuck doing it. That's a, a short-term thinking as he would call it. The long-term thinking is to come up with your customized defaults so it does not fall on you. And so I think that was one I wanted to call out because besides multitasking, saying um, I'm a better multitasker, which we just heard is patently untrue. Um, and the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I could do it myself, was the second most popular toxic time message. And so the number one step, Dana, as you asked, what can people do to start looking and changing their lives? It's to recognize rule one of fair play, which is that all time is created equal. When you can do a, a shift in your mind to understand that your time as a woman is just as valuable as your partner's time because you just get 24 hours in a day, you both just get the same amount of time in the same day, then um, things start to change. So for Seth and me, it was for me first having to believe that my time was diamonds um, as well as his. That was step one to starting to get to domestic fairness in our household. And we all have 168 hours in every week. We all have the same amount of time. So despite disparity, despite all of the ways that women are really still struggling 
to gain equality or equal pay for equal work and all of these things, let alone diverse groups who have it even worse in some cases than uh, certainly white women. We could talk about white privilege as well. We're both white and we are privileged. So I could spend days and days talking about inequity. I I would love to talk about that rule as an equalizer that people probably don't have any idea about. I think you just laid it out. We all have equal time. So we're not all in the same boat. We might all be in the same storm with COVID, but we all have equal time. So let's all just breathe that in for a minute. Let's just slow time down for a second. And let's all think about that and then accept we all have equal time. So that's why it's rule number one. What's rule number two? And I just want to say for that equal time, um, if you want to talk about white privilege, um, one of the other toxic time messages that men gave to women was, well, if you just need, if you're so overwhelmed, just get help. So that's a very problematic um, toxic time message because not only do we know that managing help, securing help, um, getting somebody to execute for you doesn't get rid of the mental load of whether or not your child's adenoids are taken out. Um, That's the more important decision than whether you have someone to drive your child to the doctor's appointment. Um, But on top of that, the problematic thing I have about our outsourcing discussions right now is when I spoke to one woman for my interviews, when I said to her, you know, fair play is a card game. There's a hundred cards for uh, domestic tasks and it's about how do you divide up in your home these cards. And then what this woman said to me is, well, what if it's more than a hundred cards? I said, well, it's actually a closed system of a hundred cards per family. And she said, well, actually I'm a single mom. So I have a hundred cards. I hold all the cards for my household and I'm holding about 50 cards for white women. So I think um, when we talk about outsourcing, we have to be very intentional to understand that when people say cavalier things like, well, if you are so overwhelmed, just get help. We're often talking about the underpaid and undervalued work of women of color. So that's just an aside that um, thank you for allowing me to open up when you talked about privilege. Thank you. And there are ways to help everyone to have equal time. And we could brainstorm and share ways that we do it inside of our own lives. And maybe that's another episode, honestly, dedicated just to that, because I have lots of ways I can share that you can help other people that don't necessarily have somebody else to lean on or to share the load with. So what's rule number two? Rule number two is reclaim your right to be interesting. And this is an interesting one, Dana, because um, it's really relevant right now. Uh, This is a rule about boundaries. This is a rule about your permission to be unavailable. Uh, Your permission to be something other than a parent uh, and a worker and a partner. And for Dana, um, I talk a lot about what I call unicorn space, the active pursuit of what makes you you. I was listening to some of your episodes you're, I'm going to assume your unicorn space, one of them is the podcast, because you are you, you're a very unique voice, and you share that with the world, and that's incredibly valuable. Um, and so how do we uh, get past our guilt and shame, which is another societal construct that uh, holds us back, and to say that we actually deserve a right to be unavailable? Um, I did a poll of women uh, since COVID, and um, I asked them, do you do you believe that you have the right to be unavailable? And actually a lot of women didn't even understand, understand the question. Um, 
uh, unavailable. Like, no, I'm available to everybody. I'm never unavailable. Um, you know, I have kids crawling in when I'm peeing. I have uh, one woman said that she was trying to get just some space in her bathroom and she got totally scared because um, her child was hiding in her closet, you know? So she just got, there was somebody in there already, you know? So it's just, there's a lot of boundary issues right now in um, this pandemic when we're all forced to be home. And so I'm going to say that there's unhealthy ways to be unavailable. You can get drunk, you can get high, you can find ex-boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook. Um, but there's actually this very positive way to be unavailable, which is similar to Dana, what you're doing right now. Um, it is the, it's the idea of what I call unicorn space, the active pursuit of what makes you you. And how do you share that with the world? The technical term is eudaimonia. It's different than hedonistic well-being. That term is hard to pronounce. I thought unicorn space was better because like the mythical equine, it doesn't fucking exist unless uh, you reclaim it. So that's why this is called unicorn space. So whatever it is, it does not have to be traditional creativity. I'm a left brain lawyer. For me, my curiosity, my unicorn space was reading and writing about the gender division of labor. For you, it may be hosting a podcast and talking to women about different perspectives in their lives. For other people, one woman told me that she decided it's crocheting Harry Potter dolls. And so she got to go to her local store and she said her only unavailability of her day was doing a curbside pickup of yarn for Hermione's hair. Like you can't make this stuff up. She does Harry Potter crochet dolls. So she went to the store to get whatever yarn you need to do Hermione's hair. And she said to me that that was her, her permission to be unavailable, to leave, to get that, that yarn for that doll. So whatever it is, it's just, it's giving ourselves that permission without guilt and shame. I love this. And for the leaders that are employers with lots of people on their teams, especially right now, let me encourage you. I was doing an offsite pre-COVID with a company where people were knitting in a boardroom. If anyone's ever seen my handwriting, there's no way I could knit anything. Knit one pearl. I don't know what that is. So they're knitting in this boardroom. And these are senior executives. And I'm running an offsite for leadership team development and strengths finder and all these other cool things that I'm privileged enough to get to do to help people get to the next level. And they're knitting. They're knitting in this meeting. And I'm thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. And most of the executives shocker, we're men, no offense guys. And most of the doers per se were women. So we see this a lot, not always. Uh, and in this meeting, in this context, it was so cool because everybody just was like, Hey, what are you working on? Right. And everyone felt comfortable to bring their unicorn space to the meeting. And that is work-life integration and settling smarter. So a little shout out on that because it reminds me of that story. And that was a couple Absolutely. of weeks. And COVID. really good companies are doing that. Procter & Gamble, when I went to um, work with them, uh, one of their, um, their headquarters, they have rooms now, maker rooms. Um, they have groups uh, for people who are interested in the same things. And so what I will say is that it is a really great way now to claim that space to be unavailable. I know, look, if there's a pen stabbing you in the vagina, like I started with, then it's going to be, you're going to hate me for saying, find your unicorn space or rediscover it or claim it. Cause you're going to be like, who is this woman? I have no time. I don't have that privilege. But what I'm saying to you is actually that we all do. We all um, have to create that time because we deserve 
Um, our time is diamonds. We don't have that much of it on this earth. And we deserve a right to be interested in our own lives. That is linked to our longevity. It's linked to our relationship health. And so while I was hating those messages, maybe again, when that pen was stabbing me in the vagina and the day of the blueberries text, I actually have come to realize that creating space for myself is, um, it's really not, not a luxury. It's a, it's a necessity. And, um, and so, you know, it's really actually pretty beautiful. Um, ironically, unicorn space, when people would self-identify unicorn space, it actually correlated with people who were more likely to identify as working class than it was the higher professional classes. And that's, that's a counterintuitive because maybe unicorn space sounds like it's something for the rich, but it's actually the opposite. Um, I found through church communities, through other types of communities that people are part of, um, they're more used to looking at their life more holistically, where I found as we get climb up that professional ladder, the ideal worker looks like somebody who's willing to spend 15, 20 hours a day uh, with their butt in a Zoom chair, um, only devoted to work. And what I'm here to tell employers is that's not a great, um, that's not a great lens if you want longevity and retention. And I'll add to that, if I might, sustainability, engagement, and promotability, and I call that the five. And so Eve and I are going to go on the virtual road together. I just signed you up, Eve. I hope you don't mind. But we will not have any blueberries or pens. That's (laughs) my takeaway. So what is rule number three? This is incredibly helpful. Three is, we're getting really practical. It's start where you are now. So what I want to throw out with our toxic time messages is also this idea of 50-50 because I have no idea what that freaking means. Um, It leads to scorekeeping and resentment. Um, I don't know what, if it'll ever be 50-50 for any really heterosexual relationship. So for me, it's this idea that there's this weird aspirational number or I don't know, that doesn't work. But what does work is starting where you are now. And to start where you are now, um, whether you have a really balanced household and things are feeling fair and you just want more unicorn space, t- you know, and time, or if it's that you're feeling super resentful and you're burning out, like I was on the day that my husband sent me that I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries text. Wherever you are in your resentometer, you can start where you are now. But that requires, Dana, recognizing that you are already communicating about domestic life. So, what do I mean by that? Well, a very key finding on my fair play journey was. Women, again, of all ethnicities, socioeconomic classes saying to me, I don't communicate about domestic life. It's too triggering. I'm here to keep the peace. They talk that way about politics. We see that in in a lot of surveys, but it was interesting in domestic life, I heard that. So one woman says that to me, I don't talk about domestic life, Dana. And then unironically, 20 minutes later in my crazy moleskins, I'm writing down that every time she her husband forgets to put the wash in the dryer. She's dumping, she dumps wet clothes on his pillow. That sounds like another show called Passive Aggressive. Let's not do that. Exactly. So um, how about recently where I reached out to a woman in a COVID group who was saying she doesn't communicate about domestic life, but I reached out to her because she posted in this 27,000 member group called Reasons I Hate My Husband During the Pandemic. She wrote, if my husband dies during COVID-19, it's not because of the virus. It'll be because of me. So she was willing to threaten murder of her partner in a public for, uh, 27,000 member forum with her last name on there. But she says to me on DM, 
that she hasn't communicated about domestic life. So I think rule number one of start where you are now, and there's three rules, is recognize you're already communicating. Um, whether, like you said, it's, you know, I can go on your Nest Cam, Dana, and see, you know, five ways you've communicated about domestic life today. I won't need to even hear your voice. So that's rule number one. And once you recognize you're already communicating, then you can shift to understand that um, most times um, when you are communicating in a way that is a, maybe like you said, passive aggressive or not productive or explosive, um, it's typically when emotion is high and cognition is low. So rule number two is recognize that communicating feedback in the moment is typically toxic because a feedback in the moment means that your emotion is high and cognition is low. The number one communication vulnerability women in hetero cisgender relationships identified with in my 500 plus interviews was bad timing. Guilty. Guilty. Bringing up requests for grievances in in a place when, you know, thank you so much for the flowers, honey. I want to connect, but you know, you forgot dishwashing detergent. We call that in our house, the blade of grass, which is my husband and I have decided that we both are blade of grass people. And so if one person does something really nice and generous for the other, but they're already what we call stack, one more thing is going to explode. And then we're just going to be like, blade of grass, you missed a blade of grass. Like they don't even acknowledge that we just did something really nice out of pure joy and love for one another. It's like it goes completely under and unappreciated. So thank you for pointing that out. I'll be better tonight. Blade of grass. Well, I love that. I just wrote that down. Step one is recognizing you're already communicating. And like you were just very vulnerable to recognize. And you've talked about it, it sounds like, with your husband. Number two is to invest and recognize that an emotion is high, cognition is low, um, which means to invest in the practice of not giving feedback in the moment which is very difficult, but it works in the workplace too. It's a very helpful workplace. It comes out of my workplace organizational science. And then three is, well, if you're not going to give feedback in the moment, then it's the idea of investing in a communication practice. So, so many few people, and this is what I talk about as a mediator, the families I, I work with, the reasons why things aren't going well in their family business or their family foundation is because they're not investing in a practice of communicating. It's typically families that come together around a boardroom once a year. They've never done it before. So dad's walking out on second son when he's speaking and it's a, like a shit show. There's no community agreements. So that's what I come into restructure, but it requires a practice. And so what we're learning now from the organizational science side is that when managers an employer and employers and employees, when you come together for more frequent intentional feedback, and that doesn't mean sharing, oversharing your whole life every second, but frequent intentional feedback, you're more likely to get responses from your employees that actually matter. So not like the one time a year employee review where you're like, everything's great, I love working here. No, if you're used to checking in with your employee or your employer or your manager, you may hear things like, well, yeah, this one guy has been acting inappropriately. You may hear, um, you know, the culture has been low right now. Morale is low because X, Y, and Z. You get more real feedback. And that's really actually important. So that same thing happens in the home too. But no one thinks about investing in a practice of communication. And all I mean is that throw out your meditation practice 
or you can add to it. But if your time is really valuable right now and you're feeling stressed, I'll say spending 10 minutes connecting with your partner every night when you set a timer, just in case you're long-winded, is going to be more valuable than sitting in a dark room by yourself. So that's it. It's that easy. One, recognize you're already communicating. Two, don't give feedback in the moment. And three, that means you're going to have to come back to the table when emotion is low and cognition is high. And that requires some type of check-in, similar to how you would, the new science of organizations do it. Do we get to the fourth rule? Four, rule four is just ha- what you do in those check-ins. And that is starting with your why. So I'll just, I can end on a quick story. And that is a couple of plays fair play. This is going to sound like a really small story, Dana, but to me, it's everything in fair play. It's a couple that plays and has been recognizing the, the beauty of a check-in. Um, and also they know their vulnerabilities because there's quizzes in the book. But this woman says to me, I want to just share a story with you. Recently, my husband took over groceries. That's a card, one of the fair play cards. The premise is you own it from start to finish. So he's been going out. They have a minimum standard of care, which I talk about in the book, which is two times a week. He goes out, he surveys everybody. He doesn't ask her what they need. He does it fully. They go to Ralph's and Trader Joe's. That's their stores. Um, And if you can't get it there, you don't get it. So they have a beautiful system. So her husband comes in, he starts putting the pickles away and she says, she screams, I have a low voice, so I can't replicate it, but she screams, wash your hands. And it's like piercing tone. So what happens is he drops one of the bags. Um, The eggs happen to be in that bag and her kids are living on banana bread and scrambled eggs, she tells me. So she's having a complete visceral reaction to the fact that the eggs broke and she hates her husband. And so she takes a breath. She says, okay, I know feedback in the moment is toxic, so I really didn't say anything. But that night in my check-in, I first apologized for my tone, for screaming in the piercing tone, wash your hands. And then, like you told me, I went to my why. So she said that what she said to her husband was, my mental health is teetering on the brink. Um, We are having budget issues. If you want something that's cheaper than therapy for me, it's washing your hands, singing the happy birthday song in front of me. It's an investment in my mental health. That's what she said. And I started tearing up at that because it was the most beautiful why, but it was so small. And then she said, her husband said back to her, I keep Purell in my freaking pocket for you because you're at you. I know this matters to you. I was wearing gloves. I took off the gloves through, you know, the right way. I Purell right before I walked in. That's why, and I was putting groceries away, which is a nice thing to do. I'm owning the full groceries card. And so that, and she said, that was it. She said something that would have seethed and she probably would have screamed at her in front of her kids. And it would have been this whole blow up over the broken eggs. She like they looked at each other and it was like a seven minute conversation. And she's like, well, I guess we have nothing else to say. Let's move on. And she said, it was just a very beautiful night where it just all like, those are the tools that, that I talk a lot about. So for our listeners, I just want to do a couple takeaways, which is you create space and the 
feeling of time by deploying these skills and strategies that Eve is talking about with that beautiful story. I know I'm going to try these myself and I'm going to come back to you. My husband and I, I'm voluntolding him. We're going to take your fair play challenge because these are the kinds of things that we struggle with and we have a great relationship and we do communicate and we've been there, done that with exes before. And so we brought some of this awareness and knowledge and space to this new relationship that we're now in for six years and married for three. So I'm going to take the challenge and I'm going to talk about this in in upcoming podcasts because we got to go inside out. And if you haven't seen that movie, people, it is one of the greatest movies of all time and we can't always be joy. Anyway, so we're going to play fact versus fiction. Just a quick speed round, lightning round. Here we go. Fact versus fiction, Miss Eve, with so much incredible wisdom to share and thank you. Would you say that it is hard to create space, fact or fiction? Fact. Would you say that by creating space and the proverbial feeling of time for yourself, you actually are able to give more to others, not just yourself? Fact or fiction? Great. And would you say that when people feel overwhelmed, they tend to take on more fact or fiction? Fact. Sounds like a trick question, but Eve's like so quick. So I guess the second part to that is, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and then we'll wrap up this lightning round. Why train anybody when I can just do it my damn self? Well, that's true of a lot of people that are managing people or raising kids or even trying to co-partner. Fact or fiction, it's easier to just do it fiction myself. Fiction times a million. I debunk it not just with me, but trust Dan Ariely, trust the neuroscientist, trust, um, the, trust that I have the scholarship behind what I'm saying. It is, it is a terrible argument in the time it takes me to do, uh, to tell blah, 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 what to do. I should do it myself. It does not work at home. It does not work in the workplace um, because your time, it all starts with your time being precious. That only, that argument only works if you have infinite time and we don't. And for women in particular that are trying to have it all and be there all by doing it all, all at one time, you all are probably tired of me saying it, but it's my damn podcast. You cannot run life as a series of sprints inside of a marathon while balancing on a teeter-totter because otherwise your blueberry moment is just one blueberry away. Is that right, Eve? A hundred percent. I think that's, Dana, that's why I love your lens. Uh, And I wanted to come on because having it all does not mean doing it all and you Tell your listeners that in many different important ways. And um, how great would it be if we can lose those cultural expectations um, as opposed to having to have podcasts like this to debunk them? What if that just was the way things were for the next generation? Well, let's do some more myth debunking in the future. You have been a fantastic guest. You've shared so much in such a short, compressed period of time. And since we all have the same amount of time, (laughs) I'm going to go take my time to nap after this and practice what I preach. You get the final word. What would you like to share in terms of a quote, including your own? Um, I I have a quote that I love that was a post-it that um, I wrote, you know, it was on my computer a lot when I wrote, and it's from a, a sociologist Um, from the early 20th century. His name is C. Wright Mills. And he talked about how private lives are actually public issues. And that always stuck with me because like I said before, a lot of these issues are presenting really small 
like fighting about blueberries or beard shavings in the sink or who's taking out the kitty litter. But what I'm here to say is actually they're much bigger. We all have them and they're based on these societal expectations that we um, are supposed to be the default for all the unpaid labor. Women are the default for $10.9 trillion of unpaid labor every single year across the world. And it's time to recustomize our defaults um, and not have it fall all on women. That is the ultimate in settling smarter. And it will take men and women working together to make that happen. Eve, you have been incredible. We're so, so grateful. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look Arimoto and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.